0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm here with my co host, Dr. Peter Bolden and Monsieur Perrin Depar. I'm really excited about this one, The Founder's Dilemma. And I um, love the, what, what you spoke about it, Perrin. So I'm excited to hear this one. So, what is The Founder's Dilemma, Perrin?
2: Yeah. So, you know, every entrepreneurial dentist, every entrepreneur who finds himself to be a dentist, um, has aspirations to own more than one practice. And, you know, they start out with one second location uh, and they're, they're practicing clinically four days a week. Then on their one day off, they're, uh, you know, managing the books, being the visionary, negotiating with the supply companies, doing all the other administrative and leadership type, type stuff. And they, they love that because they love building a business uh, and they want to build a bigger business But, oh, by the way, they're usually a pretty good dentist and they usually Mm -hmm. do a lot of dentistry and they usually generate a lot of personal income and success through that clinical work. From the dentistry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, oh, by the way, they have a lifestyle that's tied to that. You know, none of us do what we do for free. Mm -hmm. Right. And we all like the toys. And things that come along with it. Yeah, your lifestyle
1: your your lifestyle follows you up all the way, right? You, it, you, you, yeah. you, you and started. that's
0: why dentists can't retire. By the way, we make a lot of money as a as a as a group, but most of us can't retire at sixty five. It's just you know, even if well, you make more money.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's spending habits are are what they are, and 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 you know, there's the financial planning component of it. I, that's a completely different discussion, but you know when you when you're the the founder dentist uh, and you're you're wanting to transition out of a clinical role and you generate a healthy amount of personal income derived through doing dentistry you're you're usually the largest economic engine in the business let's just mm-hmm. call it what it is and when you want to transition to be the CEO you know that that clinical work doesn't disappear I mean, you've got to hire a, an associate or maybe two or maybe three or more to backfill behind you. And when you do that, they're not going to work for free. So you have to pay them to do the work that you were doing, but you want to keep the same level of income out of the business as if you were practicing clinically the whole time. So mm-hmm. how do the economics work on that? And that's the, that's the founder's dilemma. It's like, how do I work myself out of the chair? And you know, a lot of it is math, we reverse engineer a lot of those numbers for our clients. And and we ask some pretty hard and candid conversations about personal expense structures and commit, you know, financial commitments, you know, on the on the home front, so to speak, uh, and try to look at the debt service of the business to figure out how quickly can they transition out of a, a, you know, chair side clinical role. And is it something that Maybe they can drop one day of clinical dentistry a week per quarter um, over the course of a year and phase out of four days a week at full time, or might it take longer than that? Uh, and, and some of that is um, based around the financial performance of the business as well. So, you know, you, you can get paid out of a business essentially three ways, right? There's, there's, the clinical compensation or like an incentive compensation piece that's derived from, from client services, customer services, patient services. That's the first way. The second way is from a salary standpoint, an administrative role, be it CEO or bookkeeper or anything else, you get paid a salary to do that. And then the third way is through distributions and ownership. So the idea is essentially that if you're going to work yourself out of a job, clinically speaking, what type of an impact do you as the CEO now need to make on the top line of the business to generate the waterfall of distributions that come out the bottom end that can replace the clinical income that you walked away from and having that in balance so that you're not um, destroying the profitability of the business, because now you're, you're taking on, you're now the, the CEO of a four location group dentist uh, group dental practice, and, and that business generates $4 million in total collections. And as the CEO, you derive a salary of $750,000. You know, that, that's not what we call market wage. <laughs> so, you know, there's, mm, there's so ways to kind of work through that process and it's usually pretty methodical. It's highly analytical and, and it doesn't take place all at once. So I think, you know, there's the financial impact to the, to the founder themselves and making sure that they can still pay their mortgage in the kids' school and all that. But then the other piece is, okay, you're working yourself out of a chair. You used to manage the business one day a week. Um, and that's what it required. Mm-hmm. Now it's a bigger group. Now there's more debt. Now it's much more dynamic in terms of turnover. Um, what do you focus on? as the CEO? What are your areas of where you can make an impact in the business? What should you be doing from a leadership context? And what should you be delegating?
0: And also add one thing to that parent, what do you like doing? Because there's so much dialogue of people saying, dentist, you need to be CEO, there's people that just like doing clinical. And that's cool, too. And I I just want imagine the young dentist listening to this. You know, because people I'm sure think about tusk partners like, okay, when I have an exit, when I have a bigger practice, that's when I'm gonna call you guys. Imagine the value of you sitting down with a brand new dentist and saying, Hey, what lights you up? Because I heard you say something and I love the way you speak. You said for the entrepreneur who finds himself a dentist, I caught that. So he he was an entrepreneur. He just, you know, his dad's like, oh, be a doctor. And everybody's like, be a doctor. And then all of a sudden you get, you're an entrepreneur, but you're also competitive. So you graduate top of your class. And then you're like, okay, I don't know shit about dentistry. I got to learn this stuff. And you're competitive and you want to take on your FACD and your Cosma ACD, and you want to go to Panky and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden you're realizing like, okay, I'm really an entrepreneur. What am I doing here? My time, there's not a linear exchange for what I'm really good at. And you're, you're feeling bad at a certain level because you're like, I really want to expand and grow. And, and dentistry is just not serving me, me anymore. Whereas there's there's, and I think there's like a time, there's a very interesting sweet spot. The founder's dilemma is less of a dilemma when you're not clinically exceptional, when you're not being very good at your clinical production. So a young guy come out of school, he doesn't really spend too much time on his clinical craft. He's you know, he's making you know 50, 80 grand a year in his clinical craft, but he realizes he can buy a friend's practice and his friends like help me with the marketing and he never develops clinical proficiency, but he develops entrepreneurial efficiency and the jumping off point doesn't hurt him as much. If we, Pete and I know a lot of entrepreneurial dentists and the one commonality that we seem to see over and over again is they never became really good at dentistry. So the dilemma to make the money up doesn't hurt as much. Pete, you're, you're an aberration to that. Pete is an aberration to that. Pete was a highly clinically um, exceptional dentist, all the right credentials, all the great um, accolades. And he was really good at his craft and jumped off at the highest possible level producing like one point, what was it? One five, one seven you were doing. It was crazy. It's a very aberrant way to go. So he found, he's the entrepreneur that found himself a super, super successful dentist. And, and for me on a personal level, you know, doing the business stuff is not my fun spot. I do it but you put me in front of a bunch of patients because I crafted exactly what, to, what I like to do in the dentistry. I'm super happy. So it's just a funny dynamic that I, um, uh, if I'm you're sorry. why, right? What yeah, lights you why? up? But right. imagine getting a guy like Perrin for the yeah. brand new graduating dentist. The guy who's yeah. not even at a school yet. Say, hey Perrin, what can, what do you charge for the day? Well, you don't really have a practice yet, but yeah, I'll do this. It would be freaking phenomenal value to have that roadmap uh-huh.
2: It it is um, well. Thank you for your compliments, but I you know I think it is important to to understand. I mean, I, I work with a, a business coach at a personal level, and and they talk about the same concept that you're talking about, and it's called unique ability. So it's you know the the things that the superpower. Yeah, it's a, you know your flow you what puts you in flow. You you got the things that you know, you're not good at and mm-hmm. they provide no satisfaction. And those are the easy ones to give up. And then, you know, the, the things that um, you can't make any impact or value of the organization, that's, that's pretty easy on, but it's, there are a lot of things that we're good at that we derive no fulfillment from. Yeah. And those are the ones that Isn't can be that hard to true. give up. And once you start giving that up and you understand the things that you are really genius at, that, get your rocks off that you if you didn't even have to pay me to do that I love it so much those are the things where you just hit it out of the park like a groove pitch every time and and knowing what what really motivates you from that standpoint hey if it's if you're the founder of a group and and you take on the personal guarantee and the debt burden to do it and you want to be a full-time practicing dentist and you want somebody else to be the CEO or the COO (laughs) something like that no problem at all you know, but know what you're good at and, and yeah. really know what you want to do and then build a business around that.
1: I think well, so many people too want to grow like, yeah, I want all that. I want to grow this. And I'm like, are you willing to take a pay cut? And they're like, well, what do you mean? Yeah. Right. Because you're probably, you know, the linear exchange of time and money, like Craig alluded to, like, that's a very easy mathematical thing. If I do, you know, $1.7 million of dentistry a year, I will make this very easy mathematical, but how do you backfill into if you don't want a pay cut, are you good enough where you can create the ecosystem, right? That can.
2: Yeah. I didn't didn't mean to cut you off, but I mean, it it does transition into one of those questions that we talked about, um, uh, you know, when we were uh, chatting before the the show started recording. And that is that we ask clients quite often, you know, what are you trying to build and why? Mm -hmm. Because what we see is that there are a lot of people that, I don't know. I mean, they, they, they go in with uh, false pretenses or irrational expectations. And and some of that is exactly what you just said, Peter. It's it's that, you know, they have income expectations, but they want to build a group that they want to sell for a high dollar mm-hmm. and income and wealth are competing interest when you're building a group. You know, so now it's it's really one of those scenarios where, it's okay to have a couple of locations and drive a lot of personal income out of it, you know, but if you really want to build generational changing wealth, you've got to reinvest every dime back in the business 100%. as a growth Amen. engine to, to tee it up for exit. And, and I think there are too many people that don't understand that, that income and wealth are competing interests. And to really do it right, you got to kind of pick one or the other. It's true. And, and I think
0: that there's so many voices in dentistry that tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. Carte Blanche. just So when you say, what do you want to create and why, it is the most profound thing. And I wrote in the chat, personal chat that we have going on here, uh, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. So if you get exactly what you thought you wanted and you realize it brings you no fulfillment, that sucks. <laughs> that is a dark, dark place. Yeah, because because yeah. I mean, that's 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 the reason why a lot of actors are super effed up because, you yeah. know, they're working five jobs and they, they or, all or a lot, lot of dentists get, are
1: really unhappy being they're super unhappy
0: because they went to a seminar along the way that said you need to have 17 practices or you need to do this or you why? Why are we teaching dentists what they need to do and rather than asking what they want to do? The dental field is so broad, and, it, and every practice, even if you're in the same type of practice, is a snowflake and it can express exactly what you want. So, the why is such a painful question for people to ponder, but
1: they don't ponder it. We always say, Perrin, that we always say that Greg and I always say that people, you know, it's a copy and paste narrative of what they think they should do. And it, and it wasn't theirs, That wasn't generated, but it's, someone else said it, or they heard it in the seminar, and it sounded really good. And until, you know, and sometimes we go down, we're almost like you burn the boats going down that path when it wasn't really your true mission. You know, if you'd just Well, there, there's also wise, shame,
0: Peter, there's shame. I've been in, I've been in big, been in big uh, group practice summits and they're like, you know, these like people are like, Oh, you know, Johnny has five. And like, how many do you have Craig? And I'm like, one, and like, Oh, and they kind of walk away and someone will tag them like, Oh, but it's, it's 18, it's 13,000 yeah, square it's feet. It's all five of yeah. yours
1: put together. Yeah,
0: or, or, you know, so there's shame and like, Oh, you still do clinical or, or the guy who's working in the practice when he's not working the chair, there's shame that way saying, Oh, you don't work anymore.
2: Yeah. No, I, I don't say, see patients. Oh, you're
1: not a wet finger dentist. Anymore? Oh, you don't oh. work. You're not working
0: anymore. No,
1: dude. It's actually
0: easier for me. For me personally, the days I'm working in the practice are more difficult than working with patients.
2: Well, you know, I think there's such a proliferation of all these group practice summits and and conferences and seminars and everything else. And, and the, you know, pervasive kind of mentality is, come on in, the water's warm, everybody's having a great time, you can do it too, you know, and then you get the, the dentist that's mid-career, that has a successful practice, probably paid off most of their debt, and they're bored, mm-hmm. you know, they're bored running the business, it's, it's well, Groundhog Day to them, and, and they know some joker that they talk to at the 19th hole. And that guy is is bragging about selling their business. His exit. I had a I saw yeah. for a ninety seven times multiple. <laughs> yeah, and all this other crap. And and, and the the board dentist that's mid career looks at him and says, "That guy's not that bright." If he can do it, it, if he yeah. can do it, I can do it too. So you know, boredom is not a growth strategy, and and I think that. We, you know, this may sound antithetical, but because what we do is group practice. But when people come and spend a day with us, our first order of business is to talk them out of building a group. You know, mm. and and I, I can tell you that I do too I, when I talk to people. People we've had in in to spend a day with us and and see us on a service we call a full day deep dive, which is like an educational day. And I think you guys might be looking at a, a day potentially toward the end of the summer, but mm-hmm. you know i think there's i think there are too many people that think this is easy right. and, not. and there are a lot of people who built a mess that they're working for the bank essentially they're not making any money they're paying off their loans they're barely treading water and if they could figure out a way to unwind it and go back to the one practice they had that they loved doing that they made a lot of money at and they had a high level of patient fulfillment they would gladly do it yep. i mean i'm i'm pretty open with people about look i my first order of business is to, is to talk you out of this. And if I can't talk you out of it, then mm-hmm. I'll tell you what you need to do. Well, well you're doing them, a a, you're doing post. them
0: a service. Perrin, you're yeah. doing people a, dis- a service rather than a disservice. You're doing them a service because everybody's stuck in the tyranny of how, Hey, parent, yeah. what are the five steps to building 10 locations? And if you successfully talk mm-hmm. them out of it within five minutes, they don't have the grit to conquer the how and the, all the what that's going to come up. They don't have the why. So if someone like says, I don't care what it is. I don't care if I have to eat ramen for five years. It's my vision to do this. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, it's the raison d'etre. It's the reason why they are here and they can conquer any upset because it's going to be a hard They have to run the gauntlet. Oh but yeah. If, but if you can talk them out in five minutes or 10 minutes, you know, you've just done them a huge service. Because the tyranny of how, you have to have a big enough why. And if you have a big enough why, you'll get freaking resourceful enough to conquer anything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the, those that we can talk out of it, um, you know, they're, they're never going to become a Tusk client. But I feel like we've, sa- we've saved them a lot of heartache and probably they Well, there'll be a some... future
0: unhappy Tusk client if they yeah. do sign up. Yeah. If you, if, you, if you don't vet that out and they're like, okay, we'll help you build it, they're going to be mad at you in the end. Yeah. Oh, I went to Tusk, and yeah, I got the seven practices when I was working 130 hours a week. And those guys, you know, so it's you're doing everybody a service by like really, you know, challenging them.
1: And that speaks volumes for your company, too. By the way, I think that that's really cool when when you can look look people saying, "Hey, take my money," and you say, "Not so fast." I think that's I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. I, um, When
0: people always tell me, like I was remember, I've talked to so many people. I talked to this one. I won't mention his full name, but maybe five years ago, he's like, you know, I want to build something like you have. I'm like, well, tell me what you do. He's like, well, I work three days a week clinically. I'm like, what do you, what you gross and net blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, you, you actually make, you know, it was like some ridiculous thing. It's like working three days a week, three employees, g- gross collections of like three and a half netting out, you know, 1.8 or 1.9. I'm like, do you like dentistry? I love it. I'm like, so why do you want to do what I do? Well, that way I can make money when I'm like sleeping. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like listen, and he's like, I'll have, I have a job. I'm like, dude, LeBron has a job. <laughs> LeBron has a job. You know what he makes per minute? $682,000 like, $608,
1: Yeah.
0: So like, let's look at your job. You work clinically 26 hours and you love it. So let's think about what your hourly wage is. You could have seven practices and make less per hour. So like, I understand if you don't love what you do, let's pivot. But if you actually love it, but you're just you're just mm, mad because a jackass that was five uh, seats down the, the um, chair, uh, the row in you in dental school who didn't graduate on time is now has 30 practices and you're comparing yourself. That's, that's fool's gold, man. You're, you're, yeah. you're wasting your time.
1: All right. All right. We hope everyone is getting massive value from listening to this podcast. If you are, we're going to ask a couple things in return. First, Review us on iTunes. If you don't know how to do that, the easiest way is to pick up your phone, open the podcast app, click on the album art, and then scroll all the way through the episodes and you'll see review at the bottom. Go ahead and bang out the stars that we deserve. Second thing, if you haven't signed up for our text uh, list to get notified of special offers or the next summit or whatever it may be, uh, make sure to text the words bulletproof to 33777. That's 33777 and the word is bulletproof. Third thing is we've got the book, as most of you all know, but we've also got the audible version that Dr. Spodak spent three days in studio and it was an arduous task and he crushed it. He really should be an an Audible book. And then last, if you haven't heard, uh we've got an amazing deal with Merchant Cost Consulting, and it's for processing, and it's a check out that episode. But if you want to get hooked up with that deal, make sure to uh, go to the landing page bulletproofdiscounts.com That's it everyone hope you're having a great day and we'll see you soon
2: you know it's a it's a great time to be an entrepreneur and be in the dental field for sure and I think it's there are a wealth of opportunities out there um, and you do kind of have a do you kind of have a blank slate a lot of times on on what you want to create but I think just, you know understanding what some of the guardrails are and where some of the landmines lie and you know not making the same mistakes that others have can at least increase your potential for success your pro- probability for success but it's not guaranteed either
1: yeah and like my granddad always said he's like look if this was easy a- anybody could do it right, right. and so right. so it's uh it's, Pay- so let's get let's get in adv-
0: paying for advice by the way and just going back to the founder's dilemma and starting with the why paying for advice i don't care what they pay is the cheapest learning you can <laughs> completely have it's just it is so important and it's just it's it's the first step that is completely overlooked yeah and then when you try i'm sure when you're meeting with clients well why well not, I, I don't wanna get it you know let's get back to the, the how like i got two how do i get to three yeah. <laughs> i got one down the corner can you help me evaluate that well yeah. why well i just you know, it's, the it's flip,
2: incredible. The flip side to that, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you all real quickly is that you get somebody that says, you know, you ask them, okay, you want to build a group. Well, do you have exit expectations? And they say something to the effect of, yeah, I want to build this thing up over the next five years and sell it for a net $20 million walkaway number, and net being after taxes and after debt proceeds. And uh, at that point, you reverse engineer the numbers and tell them, well, you just need to uh, acquire 10 practices per year for five years and grow it to this level. And how does that sound to you? And they're like, well, not realistic. Okay, well, maybe your expectations aren't realistic. So let's talk about what is.
0: And Because everybody's telling everybody's talking a bunch of crap, by the way, too. So people will say, yeah, I got, you know, yeah, I got a 90 multiple and I started from nothing. I mean, there's guys that I know of, that have not been in business They're brand new dentists, they've been out for two years and they're actually doing webinars of how to create a $5 million practice for the first five years. I'm like, you haven't been out five years. <laughs> like how, how, why don't you write a, Why don't you do a, a webinar, how to create a $10 million practice in five years when you've only been at a school for two years. That's a good webinar. Title that's a, that's you. an amazing, yeah. that's an
1: amazing title.
0: Um, and then so, the, so you have, we've resolved the founder's dilemma and, and that, that uh, transition from, from uh, artist to entrepreneur or finding out your true colors. what's the next chokehold? what's the next thing that'll that'll rope you out, uh, knock you out?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I, I think we, we mentioned a little bit before about what we call the debt funding wall and and I mean I, I think the the scenario to that is that um, one, people just don't communicate their intentions clearly with the bank when they're going to borrow money because banks underwrite you know, you borrowing money to, to buy a practice that you're going to work in full time, they underwrite mm-hmm. that risk uh, differently than you borrowing a lot of money to buy multiple businesses that you're going to oversee. Um, and I think that's, that's the first thing about hitting the debt funding wall, because what we, we refer to them as retail lenders, because they're the, they're the banks that are prolific in and in, in dentistry, and they do a great job because it's dirt cheap cost of funds, you know, it's, three and a quarter over right. 10 years or something like that. I mean, if, if you're just going to own one practice and you're, or maybe two and you're going to own and operate those practices and probably work in them, then dirt cheap cost of funds is all you want. But if you're going to build a group that's five to 10 to 20 locations and you're going to do it with debt funds, which you should for as long as you can, what you're really looking for is a committed source of capital that'll, that will agree to fund your vision, re- agree to fund your business plan. And- now,
1: parent, would that be one bank or should you agree? Okay. So one solitary, one, one bank that you're kind of being very transparent with showing your goal. And uh, you're saying you should fund personally as long as you can.
2: So, so uh, yes and yes. Um, okay. Yes. It's, it's ideally it's one bank, one lending institution that says, Pete, we love Dr. Boland. We love your vision. We love your business. We will, we're going to be in business with you for the next handful of years mm-hmm. to, to allow you to, to fulfill that as long as you continue to operate the business within the following leverage and liquidity ratios and compli- reporting compliance requirements. And, and now, when they put that to you in a term sheet, you know how the game is played. Mm-hmm. So you know that they have committed two to $3 million worth of growth capital that will allow you to go out and acquire more businesses and close pretty quickly as long as the core business is below a certain threshold of like a funded debt to EBITDA ratio, or as long as you've got um, one month's worth of operating cash reserves and and liquidity, you know, and, and these are things that when you understand the parameters of how the game is played, on the banking you can side, bank, yeah, yeah, you can bank with one institution. It makes things a hell of a lot easier. I but-
1: have to say, Parent too, that that finding the right bank and finding the right banking relationship is is a huge uh, either advantage or impediment to your, the growth of your organization. I mean, I've been lucky enough to find people that, you know, I have my bankers cell phone and, and honest in the beginning, that's gotten that way because as I've grown, you know, a bank is more eager to jump on a fast moving bus than they are that like, I don't know about you in the beginning kid, you know, and as we've seen as Craig and I would always comment, like, you know, banks are tripping over themselves now in our life cycle of where we are in a business. But in the beginning, it was a little harder. But finding that relationship is key. And, and I guess that was, that's my point. Anyone listening is if you don't have a great relationship with the bank, like find one that you can, because it will be the biggest uh, gas on the fire for you in your career as you're trying to expand. Well, And let also me-
0: look, at, look at what we learned through the PPP process, not to go there, but oh, you, know, yeah. you had these big, big banks um, Retail banks that you were just you know you felt really good about the big bank and all the branches you had, but then the the system crashed and it burned crashed, for PPP. Right? Like so, there was a commonality in the execution of the PPP with the people that had lo- uh, more private relationships. Amen to
1: that. That's so good point,
2: let, Craig. Let me let me uh, differentiate or build upon something that Pete said, which is the relationship piece, and and um, I want to I want to dig on this for a second, okay? Please, um, because. Um, relationships in life are important, and they're based on trust. That being said, the, typically the bankers that you have relationships with are not the ones to make lending approval. Right. The underwriters, okay? right. So it's important to have a relationship with a bank, but it's important that that relationship equally be with a credit officer and not a relationship expert at the bank. And the reason for that is because the credit officer is the one who looks at your portfolio and gives it the thumb up or the thumbs down. And if you were in growth mode and you don't know who that person is, who's approving funding, future funding for you, you're at a disadvantage.
1: Interesting.
2: And okay. so this is another reason that when we talk about growth capital, um, it's, it, it's more than just, the amount of debt you, that you are responsible for with lending institution A. That's important from a risk standpoint, yours and theirs, con- concentration risk. But more important, the access to committed funds in the future for you to execute your strategy is the flexibility that you have to have if you're gonna grow a business. So when we talk about relationships, yes, they are important, but nine times out of 10, you're, if you're going to build a group, you're probably going to outgrow local relationships with people that you may have started with. And that's just, that's just banking, okay? There's, right, there's the correct lender for the correct business at the correct point in time. And I think that's something we just need to be mindful of as we talk about, the differences in terms of debt needs, at least between a two or three location group practice and a, and a 10 location DSO. That's a great and, and differentiator. Peter, yes. You
0: had Pete has a different buy uh situation because Pete was not using a lot of banking funds. So he had a lot of assets and, and a bank could sweep in and, and give him liquidity because he had built so much, you know, so you, you had but, but it, but it's, it's hard. It's hard when you start off with the banking relationship. Parents said you got to communicate to the bank what your vision is. Um, People, they don't fail to communicate. They don't know what their plan is. So they meet a bank like, yeah, I want to buy a practice. Okay, great. And then they don't ever communicate. Yeah, I actually want to go to 28 practices. Mm -hmm. So they run the bit. They, They never communicate so that they use bank number one, two, three, four, five, subordinated to each other. And then you have to unwind that system, if I'm understanding you correctly, and then move to something else. They, they just they, they don't bother to fill the bank in that my, my plan was to always buy 25 practices.
2: Well, the, the thing that makes it even worse, potentially, is that whoever, whoever is your, fir- your primary lender, the first lender you worked with to start this whole venture, there's probably a covenant somewhere in those documents that says the borrower cannot take on subordinated debt without existing bank approval. And I, I gather to say that 90% of the people that are building groups don't know that. Mm-hmm. And the, usually, usually, no, no, if you're paying your loans, the bank's never gonna call it. Right. But they However, don't. if you were in violation of that covenant, they have every right to. Right. So why, why create a poison pill in your debt structure that could literally be the Achilles heel of the business just because you, you didn't take the time to, to lay out your business plan and communicate on day one. Because if you tell the banker, look, hey, man, my, my goal is to acquire two a year for five years. I want to be the owner of a 10 location group. The bank may, very well may say, look, good for you. That's not the, that's not the business we're in. Right, you know, and that's they don't—they
0: don't bait and switch you. They, they they will do the right thing that coincides with your completely. vision. It's just we fail to communicate. The, yeah. the subordination clause is not a bait and switch. It's just they misunderstood your vision, or that you never bothered to tell them your vision. Yeah. So their yeah. their leverage and their collateral
1: is that existing business, and they but get you worried that you're to on any to any two dentists and three. like Greg and our summits, and like every dentist out there feels that capital is the biggest impediment to their growth.
2: It's actually vision, I think.
1: Well, I understand, but they, what I said to think the operative word was think.
2: Yeah. So, but the, the vision rests with them, the funding rests with somebody else. So, I mean, you can kind of pass the buck. So, so, I mean, here's what I'll tell you. That's so true. You know, if you're, (laughs) If you're looking at borrowing money, I mean, you mentioned Pete's got a lot of assets. So if you're, gonna, if you're gonna borrow money for one or two, that's an asset-based lender. They wanna know your 401k, the value of your house, how many cars you got, all that kind of stuff. Because if they gotta go get something and, and, and make cash out of it, because you defaulted on the loan, mm-hmm. that's what they wanna know. A cash flow lender is a growth capital lender that underwrites the, the, the opportunity differently than an asset based lender. So these are, yeah. these are banks, they're senior lenders, but they operate differently. And your borrower, typical dentist, through no fault of their own has been conditioned to say, I want the lowest cost of funds, you know, and I, I'm, I'm making my decision based on rate, what's your rate? Mm. Well, you know, an interest rate, I got news for you guys, an interest rate is different from an annual percentage rate. You know, but you ask that question to to somebody and it's like, you know, the eyes glaze over and they're like, uh, APR, I got a credit card. Is that what you mean on annual percentage rate? No, I'm talking about the the true cost of funds, you know, the, the app, uh, loan origination fees and filing fee, all of that lumped into one plus the cost of compliance. So do you have to furnish annual uh, CPA compiled annual financial statements, or is it quarterly? Is it audited? Is it compiled? What is it? Because all of that's a different cost of borrowing. You know, so now you've got all these ancillary costs that, that nobody thinks about, and all they're focused on is, hey, you know what? I got three and a, I got three and a half for 10 years, man. I got three and a half.
0: The SBA is a big one of that too. Like, you know, using like the 504, is it the 504 loan or 501 or, I don't even know, but there's a, a couple of SBA loans that like you look at the rate and AP, you know, annual percentage yield, and it's just massive. The fees are massive. So you could feel really good about your three and a half and wind up being at 5.7 APY. Because you have yeah. all these origination and, you know. Yeah, I mean, when, you, when we talk about, Pete, your story, it's like money's really easy to get when you actually don't need it. So that's where you fit into that category where some guy's like, oh, dude, you got a lot of equity here. Let me, let me give you some stupid low interest rate and, and give you liquidity because mm-hmm. you actually didn't need it. If you were right. like, I want to build these seven practices or yep. nine practices, let me get some financing. You would not have been treated so well. So your relationship is, is all rosy because you didn't need it. Every bank would be tripping over there. Right, right. Uh, uh, you know, that's what I was saying. It's shit. gotten
1: better all along the way. Right. Because well, you're rich. <laughs> that's not true.
0: No, but it's just great when you money, it's amazing how money gets money. Like I have a friend who just exited a business for double digit millions. He can borrow at like 0.2%, whatever the (laughs) hell he wants. So he's doing like hard money loans and stuff.
2: Yeah, because I mean, like, okay, so Pete's business is prolific, and it's throwing off a a lot of EBITDA. And and if he's carrying, uh, you know, very little debt right now, the bank says, look, you know, he's, he's at less. He's, a, he's at a funded debt to EBITDA ratio of less than 1.0 and we're good up to two and a half to, to mm. one. So he's yeah. got a window now to operate- but There's a
1: difference, parent. I had to shift though, and that's what I was talking about, certain banks in your life. So I had to kind of pivot to a different because to go into kind of a more of a commercial division that was based yeah. on things you're saying, right? And, and yeah. I said, because my first bank was saying, they're like, look, we're kind of uncomfortable. You're hitting the ceiling, so to speak. And I don't know what that meant. But I thought like that was it for me, and then and then I kind of find out that there's another level of banking that's based on the meritocracy or or you know, but your assets, it's your properties, assets it's everything, all the formulaic it's, stuff, it's a portfolio of your assets yeah, right. versus and your like, business. And I said, well, how long's the runway? He said, there is not one. And I said,
2: holy shit! Where do I
1: sign up? You're my new bank. <laughs> yeah, but
0: they they can wrap all your assets under one. It's a holistic approach. It's very cool. Yeah, but I mean, you got to
2: you got to change your relationship and move everything to them for sure. Yes, but they're You know, they yeah. got a runway that's usually $25 million or right. something like exactly. that. So, I mean, you, you, it's tough to outgrow some of those lower middle market lending uh, opportunities unless you are just on you know, unless your goal is to grow five to 10 practices a year, in which mm-hmm. case you're probably looking at MEZ structures and things like that. But I mean, or just going straight private equity at that point. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, Parent, I appreciate all you, how you lean into the industry. I am looking forward, hopefully, you know, like, as you alluded to, Craig and I are coming to learn more with you guys and just, you know, it, it can't ever hurt to surround yourself with, with guys like Kevin and yourself and this learning, you know, learning this dance because none of us have it figured out uh but it it is nice to surround yourself with the right people so um i'm looking forward to hopefully that coming to fruition like i said you're doing great things for our industry so i appreciate that
2: i really appreciate the kind words and and obviously uh the two of y'all having me on today it's a it's a real honor to be with you and i'm I'm not bashful about saying that I, I work with some truly brilliant people and I'm bringing the average down around the, the Tusk ranch for sure. So, wow. um, you know, uh, appreciate y'all having me and, and us on. It's, it's been a lot of fun and and look forward to uh, the next time and hopefully seeing y'all sometime yeah, soon. That's right. Too.
1: Yeah. In person, right. we're even, we're even way more dynamic.
2: Aren't we, Craig? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: We'll make sure, we'll make sure
2: the padded room is available when you come that's to true. Charlotte. Good, good. Yeah, I'll just
0: have to decompress in there for an hour. or So <laughs> that's right. yeah, that's right. yeah parent, right, parent, what, we'll- what an honor to have you here. Thanks for all the insight. And thanks for what you for dentistry. It's, um, you're, you're really helping our professional lot. So appreciate you
1: who you are and why you do it. It's awesome.
2: Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Peter. The honor's all mine. Y'all take We're care. Up and
1: bell. Over and out. All right. Thanks. See you guys.